Harvey Sachs contends that Ludwig van Beethoven's Symphony No. 9 in D minor, Opus 125, is one of the most precedent-shattering and influential compositions in the history of music. Its word-driven final movement is a declaration in favor of universal brotherhood, which explains why the Ninth is the work most often used to solemnize an important event, the opening of the United Nations, the signing of a peace tree at the end of a war, the fall of the Berlin Wall, or the consecration of a new concert hall. It is perceived as a vessel for a message that confers a quasi-religious yet non-denominational blessing on all good and just people, institutions, and enterprises. Composed during the last and most remarkable phase of Beethoven's artistic trajectory, the Ninth consolidated and elaborated on elements of his earlier creations and transcended them. It also became a reference point and stimulus for generations of artists throughout Europe and beyond, and it continues to resonate in the parallel worlds of ideas and ideals. Charging or cluttering the Ninth with such ideas and ideals, not to mention feel-good meaning, was and is possible only because the last of its four movements contains words that express aspirations toward peace on earth and goodwill toward all human beings. But the first three extended dramatic movements of the deaf composer's symphonic masterpiece are not pans of praise to freedom of the spirit or to all-embracing joy or to anything else. They deal in a variety of ways with intimate and extremely complex emotions and states of being. Thanks to its finale, however, the Ninth has become a paradigm for both freedom and joy, although it made its appearance in the middle of a decade in European history that was characterized by repression and ultra-conservative nationalism as Bourbons, Habsburgs and Romanovs and other terrified dynastic rulers strove to spruce up and enforce the concept of divine right in the wake of the French Revolution and the upstart Napoleon's imperialism. Through this single symphonic movement, Beethoven was, in effect, serving up a one-of-a-kind counter-argument to the retrograde tendencies of the day. Like many of the revolution's other spiritual heirs, Beethoven had to camouflage his libertarian aspirations and pay lip service to the rulers on whose patronage he depended and for whom expressions about universal brotherhood were only too reminiscent of the ideals bandied about by the French Revolution, ideals that these rulers had only recently managed to smother. And yet, Beethoven required the singers and instrumentalists who gathered in Vienna on a spring day in 1824 for the world premiere of his new symphony to proclaim repeatedly and insistently the potentially subversive goal of universal brotherhood. Alle Menschen werden Brüder, all men become brothers. Be embraced, ye millions, were the key phrases in the excerpts from an ode by Friedrich von Schiller that Beethoven set to music in the symphony's finale. The poem was called An die Freude, to joy. But in Beethoven's transforming hands, it became a subtle yet robust, unmistakable ode to and prayer for 
suffering humanity. Words of Harvey Sachs in his study, The Ninth, Beethoven and the World in 1824. Now, 200 years later, turmoil in the world continues, and we have a chance to experience the power of the Ninth as the Williamsport Symphony Orchestra opens its 2023-2024 season this Tuesday, October 24th at 7.30 p.m. at the Community Arts Center. WVIA's Fiona Powell had a chance to speak with Gerardo Edelstein, music director and conductor of the Williamsport Symphony Orchestra, about the concert. We have some really exciting programs this season with the Williamsport Symphony. You usually have a title for your seasons. Yes, we, we call it Just For You. And the idea is to reach out to as many people as possible and to inspire new audiences to come to our concerts, to make it make it very special. Um, you know, I know that all our seasons are really special. And I always thought that, you know, a particular name is, is not something that I would keep thinking about it or not sleep <laughs> if we don't have uh, a theme you know it's it's never been uh, a big deal uh, for us and uh, when we talk as you know I always mention that when we prepare for the new season we we have like an artistic advisory committee that is made up uh, with uh, people from the community uh, musicians from the orchestra board members myself and uh, we we talked about what would be uh, an exciting season with uh, new music uh, diverse music with lots of composers from from different uh, music periods and uh, music that will appeal to all different audiences because you know, it's a fact that some people uh, are more inclined to come to the uh, more classical oriented concerts and some they would like more the pops, either the holiday concert or the pop concert. And you even have some audience members who like to be a little bit challenged. They know a lot about music and they don't want to hear the, the standards, shall we call exactly, them. Exactly, yeah. They, they want something challenging. So uh, we have uh, an audience here that is very knowledgeable, an audience that you know has been coming to the symphony for years, and you know love classical music and understands. And uh, and sometimes in in these meetings that that we have, some uh, music, some some pieces that that come are very very interesting, very challenging with composers that the general public probably would have never heard before, but. I think that it's important for me to reach out to as many people as possible. And so if we have a variety of music that appeals to, you know, a group of people and uh, another program that, that appeals to a different audience, it's totally fine with me. So that's why by calling it just for you and meaning that for all of you, and uh, for whoever is willing to come and have a great time and enjoying an evening of great music making. Your first concert is coming up on October the 24th, and I don't think there'll be any human being in the world that won't absolutely love both of the pieces of music that you will be playing. Is exactly right. So Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, it's, it's a classic. And... It's hard, as, as you said, it's hard to imagine somebody who has never heard the Ode to Joy tune. And, you know, the, the story I have with the piece is 
Of course, I listened as a kid, you know, I heard it as a kid in, in concert, but I had the chance to sing it in a choir. I was a teenager, I believe, the first time that I had the opportunity to sing in a choir. And it was an amazing experience. It was an amazing experience because it was part of what uh, really inspired me or encouraged me to, to go into conducting. Because I love the conductor that I work with. I love the choir. I love to sing. I love the sound of the orchestra. And this was not less than at the Teatro Colón in Buenos Aires, one of the uh, top uh, and most famous opera theaters in the world. So a beautiful, beautiful theater. It was a professional orchestra. And so, you know, uh, one, one of the thoughts that I had at, at the end of the concert was, I would love to be on the other side one day. And... So it's a piece that is in my heart and I had the chance to sing it another couple of times and, and finally I got to conduct it also a few times. And I don't know if you remember, Fiona, but I think my second or third year, so that probably 12 years ago, we did perform it here, the CAC. So it was a you know, huge success and I thought also to myself, well, this is not going to be the only time we'll perform the piece here in in, in Williamsport. So here we go. First concert, opening night for the Williamsport Symphony, performing the uh, well-known and uh, fabulous Symphony Number no. 9 by Beethoven, also called Ode to Joy. And why it's called Ode to Joy is because it's based on Schiller's famous poem. And it was perhaps the first symphony that included choir and soloists. We don't know 100% sure. There may be some obscure piece by an obscure composer that uh, also had a choir in, in one of his symphonies. But this could be called, you know, the first time of a major composer composing a, a piece for orchestra and choir and called symphony. The symphony is in four movements and uh, we'll have the traditional uh, first three beautiful very well-developed, you know, just Beethoven at, at his heights, you know, already a very accomplished composer. It took him almost two years to, to finish the work. And um, he decided to add Schiller's poem because, you know, probably he was really inspired by the words. It's all about freedom, happiness, and, and camaraderie. And one interesting thing about this is that, you know, Beethoven wanted to, to have also his trademark in the, in the piece. And even with the poem already, he decided to tweak a little, uh, some, some of, of the verses and including also one of his own. So he starts with the words, friends, let's not sing these tunes. Let's sing more cheerful ones. Because the uh, last movement starts with a very dissonant chord. The orchestra does the whole introduction, bringing back themes from the first three, uh, you know, three movements. And at one point, the dissonant chord comes back, and the baritone soloist, who is the first one in a recitative mood singing, says, "Not these tunes. Let's sing more cheerful ones." And that's when the choir, after that, comes in and starts with the Freude, Freude, Freude. It is such a joyful piece. Now, is it a difficult piece to conduct? It's extremely challenging. Beethoven uses in, in his music, he introduces, let's put it this way, he introduces in his music a pretty much new language, harmonically, melodically, and um, in terms of the length of the piece, each movement, it's longer than ever has been before. 
The choral parts are extremely challenging. He has been criticized for that because it is said that he writes for voices like he would write for instrumentalists. So it, it, is, it is very, very, very challenging to sing. You know, the registers are very high or, or, very, or very low. It challenges singers a lot. Also the, the soloists, not only the choir, but the vocal parts are extremely challenging. The changing in, in tempo, the changes in tempo, uh, you know, constantly, especially in the last movement, the balance between the instruments, the balance between the instruments and, and the choir. So it presents quite, quite, quite a bit of, of, of challenges. And we are very fortunate to have an orchestra of this caliber here in Williamsport that will be ready for the hard task of putting together this piece. And also, we are inviting several choirs from the, from the area. So we are also very lucky to have wonderful choirs in the area. So for this time will be the Bucknell University Choir, the Lycoming College Choir, and the Williamsport Chamber Choir. The three of them will join forces and will sing for, for the finale of Beethoven's Ninth. And then you're going to bring us probably one of the, dare I say, most beautiful pieces ever written? I, can I say that? Am I allowed? You are allowed because you are probably talking about the Variation 18th <laughs> of Rachmaninoff's... That is what I'm talking uh, about. The uh, Paganini Variations or a Rhapsody on a Theme by Paganini. Paganini was a wonderful violinist, uh, very famous for his virtuosity, and uh, he wrote 24 caprices for just violin solo. And this number 24 became so famous that many composers, including Rachmaninoff, decided to write music based on, on that caprice. And he wrote 24 variations on that famous theme. And number 18 is the most famous. And I agree that it's one of the most beautiful pieces ever written for piano and orchestra. And it's hard to follow that variation. Everybody, it's looking for it. And when that ends, he said, well, how do we go on? Rachmaninoff, you know, brilliantly manages to, to add another six variations to finish the, the work gloriously. And as you know, Rachmaninoff was himself a fantastic pianist. With the big hands. Yes, huge hands. Yeah, huge hands. It's probably right to say that Maybe he is the greatest pianist uh, in the history of the world be because of, you know, his music that he wrote for the piano is so challenging that, yeah, you need big hands and, and ears, ears of practice. Rachmaninoff wrote four piano concerti and he decided to write this piece. It's almost like a piano concerto, but as I said earlier, it's most like a rhapsody. It's in a much freer style and it's based on one theme with uh, variations that, you know, they all go back and forth in terms of, of the style, the, the, the moods, the different moods, and, and the virtuosity that it's pretty much on every single variation. And you know, Fiona, that he premiered the piece here in the United States with the Philadelphia Orchestra and uh, Eugene Ormandy conducting. And they actually, there is a recording on YouTube that you can access actually and hear Rachmaninoff playing his own music. And, and that's fascinating because you learn a lot so how he how he plays and how he used to play and and especially you know for the interpretation of his own works i would say that it's a must to to listen to his own recordings 
It's wonderful to hear Rachmaninoff playing Rachmaninoff. It's extraordinary to be able to do that. But I would imagine it's a little bit daunting for a pianist and for an orchestra who's now coming in and they're going to make their own slight variations, <laughs> their own changes. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think that every composer is aware of that. You know, everything is on the paper, obviously. And the closer you get to the composer, the better in, in every sense. If the score is well written and with plenty of details and, and markings, you know, by the composer, it makes the conductors and, and the musicians, interpreters, a, a much easier job to interpret the work or to perform the work. And as you can imagine, the more that, that we go back to the earlier classical composers, the more difficult it is because we see the manuscripts is very, very little information. It may be forte, piano, you know, some articulations here and there, a title, an indication of, of tempo, but not a lot of, of markings. There are books that support uh, the interpretation of the classical style or the romantic style. But when we have a document like this, you know, like a recording or a score um, by composers like uh, Shostakovich, Mahler, Stravinsky, that are very detailed, it, it, it makes uh, it makes just just a huge difference, you know, just just a huge difference. But but fascinating, of course, because our audience may not be aware of these details or these things that we go through when we study the different scores and, and the challenges that you know, we face. I think that's one of the wonderful things about being at a live performance. You get something rather special, don't you, that you don't get on a CD no matter how lovely it is. Oh, I will continue saying this uh, always, that nothing can be replaced like a live performance. So the, uh, the energy uh, that, that comes from the stage, from the musicians, uh, it, it's it's not replaceable because uh, you are there at that particular moment and it goes and it goes and it goes and, and as an audience member you stay there focused listening just for what's coming out from the stage rather than sitting at home with uh, with your headphones or not headphones and somebody calls you or uh, the noises from outside or your kids you know want something or it's a huge huge difference the the whole experience of being in a concert hall, sitting and getting the sound back who comes from, from the stage, it's something that cannot be replaced. Now, you've programmed Rachmaninoff, so you've got to have a really good pianist. We do. And I also did not mention that this is a Rachmaninoff year still because we are celebrating his 150th birthday. So this is a great way to celebrate his birthday. And uh, we're actually also finishing the season with also Rachmaninoff, his symphony number no. two. And sure, we'll talk about that later on the season. But for this performance, we have Christopher Guzman. And he has been already a guest here in Williamsport with a huge, huge success was his performance that I decided to invite it back. Chris Guzman is currently teaching at Northwestern University in Chicago. So he's coming specially to be the guest for this performance. And, and I couldn't think of anybody else from the pianist that I know to, to play this music, uh, not only because he's a virtuoso, but also as a musician, he's incredibly gifted and it's a great musician to collaborate with. 
Because, you know, when, when we invite soloists here and we play with, with soloists, it's really important the communication between the soloist, the conductor and the orchestra. Otherwise, you know, it could go <laughs> separate ways. I mean, the pianist could go one way and the orchestra and the conductor can go the other way. So it, it's crucial that we have a good rapport, you know, between us and that we can be on the same page in our you know, brains and, and ideas are matching and uh, we are going together for the success of the performance. It sounds like it's going to be an incredible evening and the beginning, I hope, of an incredible season. Yes, I'm really excited about this season. I'm looking forward to this concert, and, you know, obviously, that is coming up and uh, for the rest of the season as well, that will be incredibly, incredibly inspiring and uh, exciting. Geraldo Edelstein, music director and conductor of the Williamsport Symphony Orchestra, speaking with WVIA's Fiona Powell about the opening concert of the 2023-2024 season tomorrow evening at 7.30, Tuesday, October 24th, at the Community Arts Center, 220 West 4th Street in downtown Williamsport. The program will feature Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on the theme of Paganini, and then Symphony Number no. 9 in D Minor by Beethoven. Guest soloists include Susanna Stewart, soprano, Timothy Williams, alto, Grant Knox, tenor, Edward Christopher, baritone, and choirs from Bucknell University, Lycoming College, and the Williamsport Chamber Choir, all under the direction of Gerardo Edelstein. For tickets, caclive.com, caclive.com, and for information, williamsportsymphony.org. WilliamsportSymphony.org. It's the opening concert of the 2023-2024 season of the Williamsport Symphony Orchestra, and it's tomorrow evening, Tuesday at 7.30 at the Community Arts Center, 220 West 4th Street in downtown Williamsport. For more information on the web, WilliamsportSymphony.org, WilliamsportSymphony.org. <laughs>